Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. second i'm just trying to get this organized here no worries dude do you think yeah i'm not the most computer <laughs> human being you and, me, you and me both brother this is a new world for me too all right, grave. <laughs> all right here we go i believe this should now be working hell yeah okay my yes. wife wants to say hi real quick hi this is hey, nice to meet you thanks so much for all your help cheers Pleasure. She's running out the door, but she just wanted to say what's up before we got started. Um, dude, I don't even know where to begin, man. I finished reading your book, and I gather that um, your your better half has had a, a hand in the creation of that as well. Um, uh, yeah, she made it more uh, comprehensive, <laughs> palatable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah, want to read you, dude. Have... Before we get stuck into it, I, I I released a book last year myself, right? And I want to read you a section from my book, which references yourself. Um, the book is a collection of conversations from this show. So the first one was, I guess, the first 12 to 18 months of the podcast. So this okay. is this is from the punk rock chapter. And this is Jesse Mallon, a New York native like yourself. <laughs> and it reads as follows. Jesse, I first went to see The Clash at the Palladium in New York in March 1980. It was the London Calling Tour. They had Mikey Dredd. Lee Dorsey and the B-Girls on the bill. 
I was hanging out behind the venue waiting to see the clash, and there was this other kid there in front of me. He had bondage pants, spiky hair, and creepers on. The clash came by, said hello to me, then they took this other kid into the venue with them. A little bit later, I realized who this kid was. His name was Harley Flanagan, and he was in this band called The Stimulators. He was 12 years old and already playing shows at Max's, which was the catalyst for me to get my band Heart Attack out of Queens, and that was the inspiration for me to make the call at the payphone at junior high to get that audition at CBGB, which eventually led to us playing there as a 12- to 13-year-old band. And he straight up said in you know in that conversation and off mic to me later on that um that you were the guy on the scene that that showed him the light. You know what? That's um that's pretty meaningful. You know, um, so um, I don't know if we're rolling yet, but if we are, I would just say um, thank you, Jesse, for that. You know, that means a lot. Um, you know what can I say, man? I, you know, I was kind of you know. I've, I've been in it for a while, you know, and uh, hey, man, like you said, where do we even start? <laughs> I don't know. It's well for me. So Jesse wrote the foreword to my book as well, and he's become a dear friend over the, the last few years. And I look to him as somebody who's part of an almost an old world, a bygone era of New York, which I, I gather is exactly the same. You know, time and, and, and age when you came of age, too. So maybe we could start there with with the city as you knew it then, as somebody who was growing up and discovering music and art and, and street culture um, in the early 70s, I guess, early to mid 70s. You get into it in so much detail in the book, but what are the first things which still stand out to you to this day of the qualities and the characteristics of New York City at that time? Well, to be honest, uh, the memories aren't good, you know. Um, I didn't even start to feel like there really was qualities until the 80s because when I was growing up there in the 70s and even the early 80s, it was so fucking uh, violent and and drug-infested and gang-infested and... uh, you know, unlike most of these kids, you know, even, you know, my other band members, you know, and then people like Jesse and stuff, you know, most of these people came from other places. So they, they had a certain safety that they could retreat to at the end of it, at the end of the night or at the end of the weekend. Then um, I'm, I'm still fucked up from growing up down there, you know, just like, because whatever drama we would have on a weekend on Avenue A, would follow me into the next day and, and the next few days and even earlier than that it was following me into school you know we'd get in fights on the street or whatever with whatever group of local puerto ricans and i'd be having drama at school the next day with their kid brothers and stuff like that so um you know i mean I don't have a lot of great memories, to be honest. You know, um, I think people romanticize the shit because uh, I was going to say it is. It was in a lot of ways. It was a golden era of creativity, this, that, and the other. But you know, it's not fun to be afraid for your life. Yeah, you know? and it's and and then you know 
when I was on my own, you know, at a very early age, you know, it's not fun to not know where you, how you're going to eat or know that you have to steal. And it's not fun that certainly wasn't fun for me to have to fight all the time. And it wasn't until I had like just saturated myself with it, kind of like just like accepted it as, you know, well, you know what? I mean, as you read in the book, you know, first time I ate acid, I saw Clockwork Orange. So that kind of like redirected my, uh, all of a sudden I became the aggressor kind of like pretty early on instead of being the receiver of the, of the, the violence and all that bullshit, you know? You see the poster behind me, right? That's not put there on purpose. I yeah, I maybe that's well. how that stuck in. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that was a little thing. But you know what? I mean, it's just like, honestly, you know, I'm, I, I saw a lot of great stuff as far as music, and I met a lot of really cool, influential people, blah, blah, blah. Some would say I even was one of them, you know. But um, aside from that, you know, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't fucking great, bro. You know, it wasn't great. And, you know, I, I didn't come from any kind of a family that really offered any sorts of, uh, of stability, you know. So, but I'm happy, you know, now. My life is amazing, you know. And, like, all the ups and downs and craziness I went through, you know, it was a really intense ride. I'm definitely, you know, you know, I'm glad I experienced it and saw it all, but... uh yeah, I'm still a little screwed up from it, you know. Where's home yeah. for you now, Harley? Where do you live now? I still live in the city, you know. I live uptown now. I grew up downtown, Lower East Side. But where I live right now is actually pretty similar as far as, you know, it's a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood, and it's still very ethnic, and it's, like, for the most part, pretty low income. So it has a lot of familiarity to me. Uh, you know, as far as the elements that I liked, and at the same time, it doesn't have quite the heaviness uh, and the drama of the the era that I grew up in. I mean, yeah, you know, every block on in my neighborhood has people selling weed and probably selling coke and whatever. Who knows? But and you know, there is some crime, and I have seen some pretty. You know, there have been shootouts. I did. You know, I did find a body in the park the first time we. <laughs> The first like year we moved up here so i mean yeah it's still new york it's still but um it's definitely not as bad as what i grew up in you know is is there any part of you that misses old new york because i imagine that's it i mean all cities are changing and gentrifying but i feel like from the conversations i've had new york seems to be the city that's changed arguably the most out of these major you know capital cities of culture around the world you know what, man? I miss like locations, sure, but again, I think I think people tend to romanticize and shit, and because I was submerged in it, like it wasn't quite as pretty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like you know, it's it's great to go and, and fucking play punk rock on the weekends and go be cool and be in a band and shit and go home, but it's not cool when you're getting fucking jumped on a daily fucking basis just for coming to and from your apartment, you know? Uh, and, and it wasn't until like I became, you know, a little older and started to take things into my own hands and kind of became, you know, became rougher. You know, it wasn't until like after my whole skinhead introduction in Belfast where I just was like, wow, you know, 
these motherfuckers are tough as shit and I don't have to fucking be on the receiving end of jack shit, you know? Um, but, you know, I got a lot of fucking PTSD from all that shit, to be honest, you know? Yeah. Because even, even, you know, when you go on that end of it, when you, when, you know, you, you know, all that hooligan shit, you know, it's not pretty when you look back. No, well, one of the things that I really, well, there's so many things that I loved about the book, but one of the things in particular was it's like a cultural, historical document of that time and place, like ugliness and all. And yeah, I, yeah. I guess that must that must have been some of the feedback which you've had beyond reviews and, and people in music is yeah. just actual yeah. local New York people who must have picked up the book, read it, and gone, oh, my God, you captured what oh, it was, was like back yeah. then. That's my favorite thing about it is that, um, I mean, when I wrote it, I really wanted New York to be like an additional character to the book, like not just a location. I really wanted you to be, to understand it almost as, as, as a, as you would a person, like mm. understand it's changing and it's whole everything. It was a character in my life really. But when I did my first books, uh, I don't know if you call it book signing. I guess it was my first book signing. I did it on the Lower East Side in a, in a bar that uh been there for many years that a friend of mine owned. Figured it was an appropriate place. And uh, that was the coolest thing is that a lot of people picked up the book who grew up in the neighborhood, people I went to school with, people like even one of the dudes from the gang, the Hitman. Right. Showed up in book signing. And not to, set, not to settle an old score, hopefully. No, but that was wild shit. Check this out. You read the book, so I so I'm like talking to this guy, and you know he's with this girl I know. Both and I went. I was in. I went to like I was in like fifth grade with her, and she's like, blah, blah, blah. He's, she's like, yeah, he was a hit man, but I'm like, oh shit. So we're bullshitting, and I'm like, see yo, man, who the fuck was Pig Man? I <laughs> just because because all of those years. Night. Yeah, I don't know. Also, so check it out. I had to ask him. I'm like, so who the fuck was Pigman? Because like, I, I knew the mask. I knew the nickname. I knew. He's like, oh, that was Crazy Eddie, who was one of the dudes off my block. And Crazy Eddie is also a brand of PCP that we all used to smoke back then. So that was why that was his nickname. Uh, but anyway, um, so I'm like at my book signing, and finally I learned who the dude that had a contract on me was when I was a kid that I actually had to leave New York over because shit was getting really hot. Like, you know, people were putting guns in people's mouths and shit looking for me. And like, it was getting grim. And um, so he's like, yeah, man, that was crazy Eddie. You know, he uh, he has an auto body shop now in Brooklyn, grandkids, blah, blah, blah. It was like some- He's dumb. a really good guy nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> really funny. It was like some straight up, like good fellas, like, or some just, it just really brings back a, a certain a, a, a New York that you can pretty much only find in movies and shit now, you know. But um, but that was that that again, that was the cool part for me more than anything, you know. Like, forget about the you know the promags and the hardcore stuff and this and that. I just wanted really to um, give a history of New York through my experiences and not just new york but through my travels you know just like but um yeah. i mean there's some amazing sections so the, the atlas mountains era yeah. i spent i spent a month in morocco and 
I almost died yes. twice yes. out in Morocco, and and I yes. went there in the 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 noughties, and and it was I imagine a bit safer then than it would have been when you were there in the seventies. But it's a crazy place, Morocco. Yeah, man. But it's it's really amazing, though, isn't it? I mean, it's like yeah. life. People tell you, you know, I, I those Atlas Mountains just changed my life. Just like staying with the Berbers up in the mountains and stuff, it, like. You know, as as a American or, or or a European or or you know, fuck man, you know, for you it's like such a oh, it's a different universe, isn't it? It really is, man. And and it, it, it kinda, you know I don't think you're ever really the same after you see stuff like that. That's why I'm always like encouraging my kids to like do some traveling when they're able to, you know, because I think it really opens up your perspective on everything. You know, when you see what other people go through, it makes you appreciate what you have. And uh... yeah, I mean, my my friend who was with me is um he's a vegetarian, and he was a vegetarian then. Um, you know, but, and and you were a vegetarian even even before that. But he'd never eaten meat, at least not in a decade or so. And we were staying out with this family in the desert in the Sahara, and this guy had made us like a chicken broth yeah, yeah, soup and he's like i'm, I'm going to eat the thing because i don't want to disrespect this guy and yeah, yeah you know what it's little moments like that you know what that's actually kind of very in my opinion honorable to put someone else to, to, to uh, you know showing courtesy and respect for someone else above your own personal idealism even you know or or beliefs or or health <laughs> for that you know um I can respect that, you know. I mean, shit, when I was in Rikers, you know, I, I ate some chicken because I didn't want to fucking get, like, completely weak and just start, like, I'm like, well, if I got to fight somebody, I need some strength, man. I, gotta, I can't be, like, lethargic and, you know. So, whatever, you know, you do what you got to do to survive. I'm not judging anybody, you know. Was this was the book that you, you know, put together, was that from your time living out there that Ginsberg wrote the introduction to? Was that from that oh, period? Really? The one I did when I was a kid? Yeah. In fact, fuck is it? you got it there. Amazing. Yeah, dude, sitting on it. Sitting on a shelf right here. Wow. That is because the the photo of that cover is in your your book Hardcore Life on My Own and that is the the physical you, I mean, what are you wearing there? You dressed as a wizard? No, actually it's a Berber. It's one of the it's one of the traditional Berber robes, yeah. but then I was wearing a Viking helmet that my dad made for me out of a soccer ball out of a football with some bull's horns we got from the butcher shop in Marrakesh. Amazing. And then I got a stone axe, you know, and this is actually the river flowing from the Atlas mountains from the melting ice, which was right behind our house, you know, and uh, yeah, it was a, it's fucking amazing. Do you sell those or is that just, you know, your personal copy? And I mean, you could find this thing on eBay for like a thousand bucks, you know, you hold it up again and hold up the Ginsburg. Obviously, people yeah, that don't well, know so you no know, it's really funny is okay well here's his introduction and there you could see his signature but uh the press that put it out they were scandinavian and they fucking spelt his name wrong on the cover incredible <laughs> I, you know so it's even cooler in that way because it's like there's a ridiculous fucking typo on that but then you know you have his signature on the inside kind of you know, proving that this retarded shit was actually supposed to be his name. Yeah. Anyway, you know, and it's funny because I did, I did the actual drawings and stuff when I was like 
I don't know, real young, like says, I don't know, in 70, I guess I was there in 75. Anyway, I was little, I was, I couldn't have been more than seven or eight or whatever the fuck when I did, when I actually did the drawings, right? So, and then the thing didn't come out until I was a little older. So by then I was a better artist. And then of course, by the time it came out, I was into punk rock. So this fucking book had pictures of me with long hair. So this was just like shame, you know, I was like, ah, oh, I don't want anybody to see this. And you know, and just that stupid bullshit kid punk rock gotta be cool shit, you know, but uh, yeah. inside I'm like, hey man, this is cool it's a it's a it's a cool thing to have it's the only fucking <laughs> thing of its kind that's for fuck sure you know it's incredible and you say in in your biography book that he was the first person to kind of try and show you how to meditate right when you were yeah, super well, young introduced me in, uh to meditation and just stilling the mind and sh and and just like um you know yeah and um you know, still some of the meditation techniques that he explained to me, I, I try to use when I have to still my mind, you know, just like trying to stop myself from thinking, you know. Um, I struggle with that a lot. Well, you know, what? I'll tell you what he taught, what he told me, and I, I don't know if it'll help you at all. You, you know, you try to obviously you. you, you get into a flow of your breathing and you got to sit comfortably so you don't tip over if you completely zone out but the idea is to try to clear your mind of all thought and he said if you actually ac accidentally catch yourself thinking what you're going to do because your brain is always fucking flying all over the place he said imagine you're watching a silent movie and you know how like the words come up underneath and say what's happening in this net as soon as you catch yourself thinking of something anything see the word thinking stop like just try to it's almost like you're like rebooting yourself but it's kind of like you almost start to trigger yourself to like you, you catch yourself having a thought and then you stop yourself from having the before the thought turns into a an, another thought and before you know it you're completely distracted you know what i'm saying like you start having the thought then it turns into, turns into a prolonged thought and all of a sudden you're like completely off the 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 off, the end spot. The end spot. Exactly. Well, I was looking. <laughs> I was looking for that. I was looking for that. Uh, what, what an amazing memory. And, like, yeah. you know, I mean, what was he like as a dude? I'm sure you get asked a lot, but just as a human I being on the level. You really get asked that much. And, you know what? It's like he, he was actually a really cool guy. You know, I mean, I knew him because he was close friends with my mom. So I'd known him pretty much my whole life. And when I was little, me and my mother stayed in his apartment. And I, you know, I used to stay at his farm in uh, Cherry Valley once in a while. And um, go ahead. My, my son is just walking in and out of the room, so don't mind him. No worries, man. All good. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, he, he was a cool dude. You know, I mean, uh, I didn't see him in the same limelight that other people do as this, you know, this uh a guru old, almost right genius or whatever the fuck you know I, I actually found it all that shit to be a little bit annoying at times and and sometimes you know i mean to me it was always just like yeah uncle alan you know at times it was kind of like a little pretentious a little fucking but you know what dude was cool whatever it's not till like i got older that like you know certain things about him i, I i'm just like eh, you know not really that fucking cool you know but you know i didn't know that and i didn't care you know it's like when you know somebody closely 
you know, you have a different relationship with them than, um, yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. Cause you know, that you know, the nature of their character and their soul. I yeah. Think. So like whatever things that, you know, you might not, no, 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 no. Hold on one second. No. <laughs> no. Extinguish off exit. Ah. Um, sorry about that. Don't be, don't be sorry. It's all good. Yeah. Um, fucking hell i just got completely distracted you're gonna be able to edit this shit i don't edit i don't edit i leave i leave it all in i leave it all in teenage kids who think they i'm just gonna get on playstation and start doing shit right now stop blowing shit up exactly not happening so anyway yeah you know when you know somebody closely you, you know i guess you uh you don't get distracted by, uh, or you don't see the, the flaws in them as, as clearly, I guess, you know, or maybe you see them, uh, even closer. I don't know. Or you, you see know? beyond them, I think is what you do. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you understand that there's that side to their personality, but then there's also the side that you've seen that, you know, and you know, I think yeah. that all people are, you know, contradictory, complicated, flawed, yeah. especially yeah. the interesting ones. Yeah well put you know so it's like you know my memories of him are really good you know and he was close with my family i mean i used to come to my grandmother's house and, you know we were all tight you know and uh, i mean my aunt denise was you know obviously really tight with him and peter olowski and bob dylan and all those people i mean she toured with bob dylan on the rolling thunder review tour and that's how i met bob dylan and all those people you know so well, so your aunt is, she seems to me to have been quite the figure on the New York scene. Um, and obviously you were in the band with her, the Stimulators. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you could talk about her role in your life, perhaps in terms of, you know, showing you the punk rock road ahead and bringing you well, into the band. And She didn't really introduce me to that because I was, um, but she uh, helped facilitate it. You know, I mean... I was already uh, I was already in the punk rock because I was living in uh, Europe at the time, and uh, you know late seventies, mid seventies, uh, and I was actually in a punk rock band in in Scandinavia, and we toured and we played at like an anarchist festival at at Christiania, and you know we I was doing my thing, and then when I moved to New York, she had her band, the Stimulators, and. Um, as things would pan out, their drummer would leave and uh, that spot became available basically on one day's notice. And and you're 12. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, but but I, I had already seen them play a bunch of times and I had been to some of their practices. So I was pretty familiar with the songs and it was like the drummer didn't show up. It was actually Johnny Blitz from the Dead Boys was playing with them at the time. And uh, I don't know what the fuck the story was. Maybe he was like dope sick or something. Who the fuck knows? But he was not picking up his phone or answering his door, this or that. And uh, they had a show and they were like, Harley, you feel up for it? And I was like, sure. And um, that was that. And I started playing with them. And that was in... Uh, 
like to say uh, 79 from seven. That was, and I actually only played with them until like 80, maybe the beginning of 81, I think 80 only. You know, it was actually a really short period of time, but it was a really uh, significant moment in New York history, you know. Because, and musical uh, history. It was it was kind of crossroadsing off, wasn't it, in the yeah. UK and the US. It was like yeah. one could kind of almost finish was, by that point, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly. You know, so it was like you had a time when you still had all the people who had experienced that era who were either you know, fizzling out or they were going more pop, more new wave or whatever. And then you had the other end of the spectrum where people who still wanted to rage and still wanted to be, a, a, you know, punk, which launched your whole, you know, discharge era people, the people that's, you know, the people from the early days that kept going, you know what I'm saying? And, and then in our case over here, your bands like black flag and, and, uh, you know, Stimulators were right at that crossroads where we were like not really as aggressive as those bands. And I was feeling that. So that's why I left the band and, and was like writing my own music because we played with bands like the Circle Jerks and stuff on their first New York show. And we played with a lot of, of the, we were really close friends with the bad brands. We kind of brought them into our fold and started booking shows for them. So that whole thing and seeing Black Flag, you know, in the early, early days and just that, I was just like, yeah, this is where I'm going. Like, you know. Did, you know, those sort of four key bands, say you got like Circle Jerks, Black Flag, Minor Threat, Bad Brains. Yeah, did yeah. they have, did they have, because, you know, they obviously stood for different things. I, I know it was kind of coming from a similar vague spot but i guess they all had a different attack and different ethos did they have different factions and different fan bases or was everybody just into well, all of it early days and things i don't people weren't so caught up in those details to be quite honest i mean yeah yeah i was younger than a lot of people but i really i didn't give a fuck you know it was I just mean, good music yeah it was you know they I mean the bad brands had a really powerful influence on the local scene so you got you know they a lot of people started talking like they were rastas and a lot of people mm -hmm. a little pseudo spiritual and whatnot including us for, you know but uh but i didn't care whether bands were straight edge or whether they, they were you know whatever they you know as long as they didn't come at you with a shitty attitude and fucking start talking shit on you for whatever you were into i didn't give a fuck you know, um, but Minor Threat was an amazing band. I mean, to me, that was one of the most, uh, that era of hardcore was just like negative approach. All those bands, it was just like, it seemed like back then every, everybody had, um, everybody had their own signature. Everybody had their own sound. Everybody was unique in their own way. You know, and then um, as time went on, it just started like you wound up with, by the second, third generation. It was just like everybody had picked a hardcore band they were trying to emulate. And so it just started sounding like that, where as the first generation of hardcore bands, people were were making it up as they went along because there were no there were no prior hardcore bands to uh, imitate. You know, you had to pick whatever punk and whatever other things that that uh inspired you 
in my case, you know, I, I, obviously things like Motorhead and, and um, Venom were hugely in, inspiring. And then, you know, I started getting into crazy shit like my Vishnu Orchestra and Return to Forever and all kinds of shit. So like all that, that's why you wound up with like crazy intros, like the intro to We Gotta Know, busting into something that sounds more like a Bad Brains song, busting into something that sounds a little bit more Motorhead inspired and something that's a slightly minor thready, but pro-mags, you know, all the way. Like all those elements were in there, you know? Yeah, that kind of time period of the band is so obviously still now so revered and had yeah. such an, an impact on the scene and it was such a burst of creativity and energy that um a couple of things you mentioned now i'd love to kind of backtrack on um bob dylan you mentioned uh your aunt was on the rolling thunder review tour yeah with him um the documentary about that period in his life <laughs> man is, i was is just was amazing all over that fucking thing i was like oh that's is oh that's is that's really cool did you yeah. have some great stories from then? Yeah, yeah. You know what's really cool too is the photos inside Alan's apartment because I fucking ate breakfast in that kitchen so many times as a kid, and it just like it was really funny to see it again, you know. But um, yeah, man. And uh, then he wound up in your um studio solo album recording yeah. sessions, right? He rolls in in eighty two. Cool. That's really funny. I mean, I didn't really, you know, I didn't. He spent more time talking to my aunt than me, but it was cool that he was there and that he was checking me out. And the whole thing was really strange, you know, in hindsight, it's, you know, it's like, wow. Did you have an exchange? Did he give you any no, no, Dylanisms? Like, nah, nah. <laughs> Actually, he was like, he picked up the distortion box and was like, what's this? You'd never seen an MXR pedal before. <laughs> Which was like one of the first distortion boxes that they had, those little like, mustard yellow mxr pedals he's like what's this you know it's funny we're still kind of hadn't evolved to the distortion pedal yet you know it's cool when you see people like that as well that are still inspired and interested or curious might even be a better word as to what's happening now you know obviously that was many years ago then but he was you know x amount of years into his trip then and down to my practice to see what we were up to it was like cool as fuck you know i mean i mean it also goes to show what kind of you know impact my uh my aunt had on people that you know bob fucking comes down to hang out you know i had um i had nick oliveri on this show a few years oh, back man, i, lo I love that man he's yeah. i think he's someone like yourself who is incredibly misunderstood i think and misrepresented and yeah, you know we're, we're he's both a sweet guy nuts so you know if we get <laughs> represented wrong we, you know who the fuck can we blame for ourselves <laughs> you know he was in the we gotta know video right yeah I, he yeah. told me that he he told me what well, he so he told me that he was a young kid and he yeah. went to see motorhead <laughs> with <laughs> pro mag supporting <laughs> and he said that was the night for him that he realized i want to do music for the rest of my life and he said he was like bugging you guys all night trying to ask you like what lemmy was like and that was funny i didn't know it was that big of a deal i knew it was fun hanging out with him but fuck i didn't realize it was a game changer no that was his moment of like his epiphanal that's going to be my path from here on in moment yeah man. that's cool and then he said years later he got to tour with motorhead obviously you got to tour with motorhead as well and he said he was 
in a bathroom with Lemmy on the last night of tour, and he was like, I can't go home, so take the rest of this speed. And Lemmy was trying to buy it off him. And he's like, No, no. He was like, No, no, you don't need to give me any money. You've you know, you've given me all this music. If anything, I owe you. I owe you. <laughs> Just take the speed, Lamb. I've got to fly home. I can't take it with me. <laughs> oh God. You know, it's funny. I got so many motorhead stories like that that like seemed really cool at the time and now i'm like in hindsight i'm like is that cool or is that really fucked up <laughs> again because you were a kid yeah totally that's why i'm just like fuck man you know snorting rails off the bar with filthy animal taylor would be cool except that i was not even 15 yet <laughs> and if fucking somebody was doing crystal meth with my fucking 15 year old son i'd have their fucking balls you know and his <laughs> well again nick said something very similar he said that he was switched on to speed by his uncle when he was like 12 or 13 as well and he was yeah. like in hindsight that's pretty fucked up and if somebody had done that to someone i know yeah yeah you know hey i think people are fucking you know when people it's are a on... different time now isn't it though it's not just a different time when people are all fucked up on drugs they're not really thinking or behaving well so you know their judgment is gone and uh, although I, I i looked young as shit i guess who's thinking about how young someone looks when they're already in the bar getting fucked up at the bar with you and they know everybody in the bar and they're you know so it's i guess i don't know i can't rationalize any of this shit but um not fucking great you know was it but, like there was no adults in the room was that kind of the way it was back then mud club what are you talking about you know, it was like there was no well i mean i don't know if you mean like no fucking clear thinking people <laughs> yeah that's what that's what i mean like yeah, yeah, a, res yeah, yeah. a responsible person in the room oh, fuck no fuck no who the fuck crazy man new york was such a deranged time back then i mean it's like everything was nuts man it was really fucking insane, you know? And it all seemed like kind of normal, I guess. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, man. When you were writing your book and going through all this stuff, you know, you say at the end of the book, the, the hope is closure with all of this. I mean, do you feel like you have it? Well, ironically, you know, I'm actually working on another couple chapters. We're going to reissue it because so much happened since that. And I think there actually has been more closure since then than there really was at the end of that because there was a lot of unfinished business when the book ended. I mean, I still hadn't gotten Chromags back I, I, like into working order again. I hadn't redeemed that. I hadn't really, um, you know, point is a lot has happened since then and my, and my life is like really fucking best that it's been and and uh i think people need to know that i think because um they need to see that you can really go through the fucking ringer and like hit rock bottom like a, a dozen times and still fucking bounce back you know, so much has happened to me, like, and, and never mind the fact that, like, you know, one of the people that I really valued his friendship, you know, incredibly, Anthony Bourdain, who did the, the, the blurb for the book, I mean, he, you know, 
losing him and um, and uh, a lot of things you know so a lot of things have happened since then that have really put things in a in a in a place of this uh, perspective and, and closure yeah I think I'm finally getting you know I'm getting closer um, but so much has happened. Even just the, res the resolving all that 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 Cro-Mags legal stuff is it was major. And I think anybody who's even been remotely curious about any of that will be fascinated with just you know how it went down and and um, you know so the the we're it's being worked on. It was like for half a minute they were like you should do another book, and I started writing, and I'm like that's really that's a bit much, man. I'm writing two fucking books about myself. I mean, come on. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's, that's a I imagine bit. you could have done. <laughs> yeah, but as a, besides this first you. fucking, you know, almost 40 years to, to, to tell this story. So like now I'm going to write another one just based on the last few. No, 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 no. So what we're going to do is we're adding another uh, another chapter and it's going to have a little bit more insight on things and um, a lot more photos. Like uh, a, a lot, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know if you look at my... Um, Instagram account, but you see that I, my photo collection is just endless. I mean, the people haven't even seen the, the, the tip of it. So, you know. There's some great photos already in the, you know, the edition of the book that's out, whether it's you and Joe Strummer, which I imagine is from that night that Jesse Malin's talking about when they came along to the Palladium yeah. and, and took you inside. That must have been from that same night, right? Where you're in the dressing room as well with, yeah. with Mick on the sofa and Joe's in the mirror. Stumbled across a bunch of other pictures of me and them from a different night because I hung out with them a bunch of times when they were in New York. And every time they were in New York, except for the last time they played. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fucking funny because, like, when they did play the Bond show, I was on the guest list and I feel bad about it now, but I didn't go because I didn't like what they were doing anymore. And I didn't didn't want to go and have to smile and be like, yeah, hey, ha, ha. yeah, exactly. You know, I was just like, I wasn't feeling it. And I kind of felt like, I mean, in hindsight, you know, that's kind of a juvenile attitude because as an artist, I know that you want to grow, you want to do different things. I could say that now, but as, or as a, the other side of that though, is that you were actually showing your integrity because you didn't believe that they were keeping theirs musically and you didn't want to go along and be fake. That's sort of how I felt at the time. Now, in hindsight, I think the honorable thing would have been to just go and show my respects and, and giving them all a hug, you know, and fuck who would have known that would have been my last chance to see some of them. Well, um, but. Uh, Are you still in touch with any of those guys in the clash? No, but the last time I saw Mick Jones, which was quite a long time ago now, at least. I don't know, at least 20 years or more. I bumped into him on St. Mark's Place. Where else? I was sitting on a stoop. The people was talking to somebody and nobody's noticing. And I walked up and I said, you probably don't remember me, but, and that's all I got to say. And he just smiled and said, of course I remember you, Harley. And I was just like, fuck, yeah. You know, that just shows the, uh, it's going to walk my dogs now. <laughs> that just shows the integrity uh, of 
that guy, those guys in that band, you know, that uh, sure he met a million kids, you know what I'm saying? And uh, but I'll tell you, that's really those guys had a huge impact on me, not just musically, but um, really just the way they treated me on um, those few occasions that I got to hang out with them and see them play and hang out with them at sound check and just spend those days with them. It was like, you know, I, I, I was there at sound check. Once I met them, you know, after that first show, we became friends. I was like that little kid that was up their ass. You know, I was like, you know, every time they turned around, I was like, need something from the store, you know, like, you know, they were like, you know, want us to drive you home after the show on the bus, you know, I'm like, no, I'm cool, I just live three blocks away, you know. <laughs> that, you know? That's the way Jesse said it to me, is he was like, who is this kid? Like, he's down with the clash, they're just taking yeah. him into their show. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but they treated me with such, um, they were such gracious hosts, and, um, that, you know, the fact that they gave me time of day, so I always try to, uh, do the same for fans, you know, I can't help it. You know, that was something that I know how meaningful it was to me, you know? So I always, that's kind of in me now. So it's like, but the thing is it gets complicated because there's so many fucking weird motherfuckers in the, in the world of fans. And especially nowadays. And it's like, people will go from being like your best friend to like being your worst motherfucking nightmare just because you, you know, you didn't notice them uh, walk by you or, or because you didn't, you know, like a post or some fucking retarded shit. You know, it's like people are really fucking weird now, but yeah, you know, so, but, um, I found in my life that a little bit of cheekiness and confidence goes a long way. If it comes from a good place of sincerity and respect and you don't overstep the mark, but a little bit of kind of cockiness, if done in the right way, I think they'll go, oh, he's all right. You know, you try to give everybody a, a chance, you know, at least I did. But, uh, but that, yeah, that was, that's, that's those guys right there, man. You know, that's fucking game changer for me, hanging out with them. So, uh, where I've lost my trail of thought because there's, <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. Dave Vanian. I love the story about Dave Vanian in the book where you're, because I love this idea of you as a kid. <laughs> busting these guys balls and them just loving it they're like who is this fucking kid well again it was one of them things like who the fuck is this kid and why the fuck is he even here you know which was very often you know the people who weren't working at the club the people who didn't see me every fucking night the people who weren't like shouldn't you be home at, by now you know the rest of them are like why is he here you know anthony Bourdain was like what were you doing there? You walk in and out of the place like you own the place. And I'm like, who the fuck is this kid? He's like, shouldn't he be at home in bed? How yeah. how much how much older than than you was was Anthony? Oh, fuck. He was a grown up when I was a kid. I mean, he's got at least fifteen years or so on me. And when did you first meet proper? I didn't meet him first proper until jujitsu uh, you know right. until early to until like the 2000s you know although our we had been in many of the same places you know and he was noticing me again more than i was noticing him he was just another grown-up in the room that you know wasn't one of my immediate friends i didn't know but he was always like why the fuck is this kid here and oh that's the drummer from the stimulators and blah, 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 blah. so when i did finally meet him 
ironically, I was his daughter's uh, jujitsu instructor for a while because, I mean, I've been teaching for a long time. I was running the kids program at the time at, at the Henzo Gracie Academy and his daughter was one of our students. So, you know, me and him, we'd be hanging out, talking, da, da, da. And then one day he's just like, you know, I remember you from the stimulators. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You know, like, I didn't know. So then we started going down that road. And then it just like turned into every time we'd see each other, we would just be talking about people, places, and things that we both remembered and knew. And, um, and uh, you know, actually, he read my book before anybody else did and actually gave me his thoughts on it. And I went back in and, like, revamped it and, uh, and finished the last couple chapters because they weren't done yet. But I wanted him to see where I was at and the, the, the direction I was going in because I really liked his his writing style and uh i loved the way he carried a conversation i'm getting fucking sad just talking about it but, um, but anyway so yeah you know um so he gave me his thoughts and uh one of them was he said you know you should talk more about uh your mom and um your relationships with her and, and your aunt Denise and um, because those things were obviously very significant and you should not, I had wrestled a lot with, um, you know, how much of the drug shit and the violence and this and the sex, drugs and rock and roll and how much of this shit do I really want to put in there? Because, you know, I got kids now and, you know, you go through this whole process. What do I want my kids to read? And, oh my God. And he was like, you know what, dude, don't give a fuck. Put it all out there because, you know, it's all out there already. They're going to hear this shit. They're going to find it out. It's going to, it's out there. You know, don't, don't pull no punches. Tell your story. Be honest and, and don't give a fuck. And uh, so more or less, I went in and I, I re-added a lot of the shit I had edited out. <laughs> and um, as it turned out, a lot of that stuff, they wound up hearing from their mother or from other people anyway. So it's like he was right. It's not like it wound up being a mystery, at least if anything, they got my side of the story, you know, and, and got to see that, you know, if they ever even do do more than just glance through it, they'll see that, you know, damn, dad went through some shit and he, he still turned out all right. And he can still inspire us. And he's landed on his feet and he's doing fucking well. And damn, you know, <laughs> there's hope, you know, which is kind of wh wh why I want to add this uh, final chapter or whatever you want to call it, because there is hope, you know, there, there's always hope uh, until you give up there's hope oh fuck that's the key there man is uh as long as you keep living and keep trying there's yeah. always the chance of a better tomorrow isn't there yeah, even you know? even when it's like as bad and shit as you think it could possibly get absolutely i did not think i stood a fucking shot i didn't think i had a chance but i just didn't want to give up i didn't want to my i at that point i was just like i don't want my kids to see me give up i don't want them to think that that's okay i don't want them to have people talk shit about me and have them believe that it was true that i, I was broken that i got beat that life just broke me fuck that you know and i just kept fighting forward even through the depression even through everything that just kept fucking hit me and um you know at the end of the day man fucking married an amazing woman and my life is fucking great. You know, I'm making fucking pretty good money. I got the, the, 
band name on fucking lockdown. Nobody can say shit about shit. Everybody in the world knows it fucking legally belongs to me exclusively. You know, and I'm making music. I got record deals. You know, I, the all this Corona shit kind of threw everything a little bit off. But you know what? It's not even get that shit's not even getting in my way. You know, I recorded two fucking records last year when everybody else was sitting on their hands. And I'm in quarantine, baby. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and I'm right now in the recording studio again uh, with the same recording crew. You know, Steve Zang is recording it. Arthur Rizik's producing it with me. And I've, I've already got the majority of the songs tracked. Now we're just fixing rhythm guitars, going on leads, doing vocals. You know, I'm, uh, free time is a gift, man. You know, if I, I, I haven't been working, I'm not touring. Well, fuck. I'm going to write songs and record them, you know? Amen. I mean, I use the year to write a book myself, and yeah. I'm, definitely, I'm definitely one of those people. It's like, well, the hurdles are there. I make money as a touring DJ, so I've had to adapt and stop doing that. But And, you know, doing this show, I've had to get into the Zoom world, but it's like all that is is a hurdle, and you can either go over it or around it or under it, but either way, I'm going through. That's what I'm saying, brother. That's, that's, that's what it's all about, you know? And... um you know, you got to pivot, man. You you uh, you make your plans. I mean, dude, we were supposed to play with body count at Webster Hall of all places, the place where my in, my my incident went down. Talk never, about closure. You know, it's been a great night. That's what I'm what saying. A, what a bill as well. That's what I was saying. Like at that point, I was already starting to write the final the final chapter because I was like, this is unbelievable. I mean, I got the band name back. I'm playing Webster Hall. Like this is like talk about closure. Holy fuck! You know what I'm saying? And literally. 48 hours before the show, the governor and, and, and the mayor cancel all public gatherings. I mean, we had been watching this shit going on on the news, like different countries are locking down, border people are dying, this is happening. We're like, fuck, we're like watching it in real time. We're practicing and we're like, fuck, you know, is this show happening? And they're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. So 48 hours to go, pow, shows off. So we're standing there, we got, I got my guitar on, or my bass, everybody's got their guitars. And there's a laptop sitting there. Bing! You know what, guys? The show is supposed to happen at such and such time, such and such day. We're playing the show. We're going to play it. We're going to set up all our gear. We're going to put up our backdrop. We're going to play like we're doing a real show. We're going to play the set from the beginning to the end, just like we're doing a show. And we're going to fucking put it on all of my social media. On all, on, we're going to put it on my Instagram. We're going to put it on all my facebook pages the band's facebook page this that the other fuck it the show got canceled so you know what we're gonna fucking put on a free show for the world because everybody's yeah. fucking locked in their house right now nobody can do fucking shit we just had our show canceled let's fucking give everybody a free show because we just got fucked out of our show so let's do our show anyway and do it for everybody pow that's how the idea hit me and that fucking gig wound up being seen by over 200,000 people live. Which is way more than would have attended on the night. That is the one positive to the streaming thing, isn't it? I don't ever hope it will replace the real thing, but there is that one cool thing that anybody in the world can see it. It will never replace the real thing, but at a time when everybody was like fucking losing their minds and not sure what was going to happen next and stuck in their house and everything else, to be able to sit and watch a show by a band that you like or maybe had never even heard before 
and see them really put on the, a show like they mean it and sweat their ass off and bust ass knowing that they're just playing for you. There's nobody else in that room. They're playing to you. I think that was a game-changing moment. Because... Speaking uh, of light, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of bands followed up on that. And, you know, I'm not... You know, I think we were like the first or second band to actually do a live show. I know um, Code Orange or something, they did like... Uh, is that what they called? Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, they did a, yep. a release party like maybe the day before. So, you know, obviously it was just a matter of like, you know how you take a shitty situation and turn it into a good one. You know what I'm saying? And, and coming from the old school, coming from, from, you know, being poor my whole life, you know, you know how to fucking take a shitty situation and turn it into a good one. You know, that's how punk rock and hip hop was invented. You know, that Absolutely, every, yeah. a shit situation and you try to flip it around and turn it into something positive. So, so we did that show and then we started recording. You know, and that's how I've been dealing with this whole bullshit 2020 year. And now the beginning of 2021, we have a lot of festivals booked. Everything that was canceled for last year is rebooked. Now, whether everything actually winds up happening or not has yet to be seen. But I'm moving forward as if it is. And if things get moved around switched around you know what then we'll adjust we'll do it when the time is right and i will finish recording this record and and keep moving forward without over romanticizing it i really do think that if you come from punk rock or hip-hop as you say or anything diy underground and that's in your blood it's not just a trend that you enjoy for a couple of years as a kid it's something that's in your blood for life I think you apply that to whatever lane you're in, whether you're a chef like Tony, whether you're a fucking a mechanic, whatever it is you do, you keep that same attitude with you forever of I've got the guys right here and the get up and go. So let's get up and go and make it happen. Agreed. Agreed. You know, um, it's definitely necessity and and and, and de determination and drive man you know tenacity i think you, you, if you just are you're like you can do anything you know you don't have to have all the skills in the world you just have to fucking be determined you know? do you ever feel from the crazy crazy life you've had i mean because for me the big thing is feeling tired like mental fatigue uh, and it's keeping that your energy levels up, keeping the hunger, keeping the drive. Did you ever feel at any point like the tank was about to run out, or did you always have something in you that kept you going? And if so, what do you think that was? Was it just survival instinct? There was a couple times when I was really bottoming out, but I, I also attribute some of that to the excessive amounts of drugs I was burying my head in at the time. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I say burying my head because I think that was a lot of that was to do with PTSD that I really didn't even realize I was dealing with. So, um, but I have always had a, a, a determination, like a, a drive. I, you know, it's I, it's always been there. I, I, I you know, I, I'd rather die fighting than then give up as webster hall proof yeah 
You know, that's how I live, man. I would rather die fighting than die from giving up. You know, I'd rather fucking go down swinging. Like if a fucking shark is going to eat me, I'll be that dude who's trying to pull its eyeballs out. <laughs> that's a cage fight I'd pay to see. No, I'm not just going to be like, okay, I surrender. Eat me. I'm going to be like, fuck you, shark. <laughs> you gotta live like you fucking mean it if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I believe that. And if you don't, then I think I think when you carry yourself in that way, there's a tenacity there and there's a, there's a light there that shines. I'm always attracted to people in my life. I wonder if you're the same people who they're, they're living, if that makes sense. They're really in the moment and they're aware. And I think often it's people who've been through pain and hardship yeah, who have that side of their personality a bit more switch, dialed in, if you will. Now, there are some really insane adrenaline junkies out there who maybe haven't went through the same type of trauma. I don't know. Maybe they've gone through different trauma. But I'll tell you, man, the people that I, all the people I look up to are uh, really strong characters. Yeah. Like, uh, a lot of them, but like. And, and the, the wild thing is that the people that I respect the few people that there are all respect me. And then that's when I really, that you know, whenever I like see people talking shit about me and this and that, and of course you get tons of them. And that. I think I just, all I got to think about is 
Look at the quality of the people who actually respect me. Fuck these motherfuckers, man. You know what I'm saying? I got people. I got people like Jocko Willing, Navy Navy Seal, like you know, badass, inspirational, like a motherfucker. And this guy looks me in my eyes and says, "Your music got me through some of the hardest times of my life." That's fucking, you know, I don't, first of all, I don't even know how to respond to that. But you know, when, and when you, you know, when, when, when you have that kind of impact on people that you respect, how, you know? I heard there's like a three and a half hour podcast that you guys did together, which is an amazing deep dive into the book and your life. And I checked it out today. It's great, great. Listen. I didn't know that there was a real closeness and a, a friendship there. Yeah. That, that makes well, a lot of sense. You know, it's funny because he's actually the dude who diagnosed me with PTSD. And I didn't right. I, and I didn't even seek any kind of therapy or, or, or counseling or anything until after he had laid it down. You know, we didn't get into all that on air because it was like that was a private conversation that we had at a different time. But he's like, without a doubt, there's no question in my mind that you have PTSD. And then he started going through different parts of my life that he knows about. And, you know, because he used to come to my shows back in the day. So he, he's always known a little bit about me. And he's been in my old neighborhoods where I grew And he's like, I was in your neighborhood. I saw where you lived, man. That shit was a fucking war zone. And I'm like, well, I've never been to a war zone. He's like, well, I fucking have. And I'm telling you that it was. You know, and when you got someone who is like, been... they see the world in that way, don't they? They interpret trouble in that way. And when he just breaks it down and he's like, I've been when, when someone who has been to hell and back several times tell you that's hell, bro. You just don't realize it. You're actually in hell right now. And trust me, because I, I fucking used to go there on a regular. So that made me dig a little deeper and, and and also writing the book really didn't fuck out. i'll tell you you'd think it would help but it really didn't because like writing it wasn't no big deal because i'm just going through memories and then fact checking them with people who were there just to make sure that my memory isn't fucking you know cloudy or whatever but then it's like editing the motherfucker like a thousand times and reading this shit over and over and then actually realizing like, what the fuck was going on? Like, I, Jesus Christ, this is fucked up, man. Then all of a sudden, that's when the fucking, you're like kicking up all the fucking PTSD shit. You start remembering shit that you didn't even write in the book and you're just like, whoa, man, fuck me. <laughs> you know? And, um, but, uh, I mean, if you don't fucking address this shit, you don't really get through it or past it, you know? I Shut read up. a book. <laughs> <laughs> I got two dogs in there. I hear them barking over the bowl. One of them's eating, the other one's barking. <laughs> I read a book last year. Um, I don't know if you know Mark Lanigan or not, but Mark, like yourself, was incredibly close with Anthony Bourdain. And I spoke to Mark on this show and he said to me, he was writing his book just before Tony passed. And he said in a, in a similar way, he, he'd been encouraged by Anthony to uncover every stone and be as honest as possible. And he was sending him 
preview chapters and he was giving him feedback yeah. and and it's it's a level of honesty and, and vulnerability which i've only really read in in his book and in your book and it's just interesting that you know tony's so closely connected to both yeah. of them that shit man that motherfucker was huge man because he really you know everybody's he, he had a way about telling a story number one obviously but he also had a way of getting a story out of people and uh yeah man i tell you one of the he was probably one of the few people if not the only person that whenever i knew i was going to see him or if I, whenever his he was going to be dropping his kid off or picking her up or whatever I would literally almost like leading up to it would be thinking about what I want to talk about. What do I, what question do I want to ask him to just trigger whatever conversation? Like that was one of the things I really miss. It was very, like, again, I, I can't even think of really anybody else that had that type of effect on me where you know, you wanted to get their input, even if you didn't agree. You just wanted to have the conversation. Yeah, you knew he'd have something to say. <laughs> yeah, motherfucker. You should read Lanigan's book, and you should connect with him. I think you yeah. two would have, you'd have yeah. a lot of. I mean, he's he like you was a you know a wild man that did a lot of crazy shit, and I think I think the two of you would have a great chat. Josh, uh, homie, and him were really tight. And, uh, you know, we were sitting with each other at his memorial. I was sitting with Josh, homie, and then over here I got, um, oh, Christ, I can't even remember everybody's names. It's like I got, like, all the most famous chefs, like, in the fucking world sitting at the table with me eating fucking Popeye's chicken. <laughs> it was great. And uh, what's her name? The, the, the newscaster. Uh, uh, Christ, I'm, anyway, it was uh, pretty intense. His daughter came up and like gave me a big hug, and that just made me feel like you know, thank you so much just for me being here. Yeah, but you know, this is a long time ago, and it's just like you know, I don't forget. You know, you don't forget people like that. Well, loyalty as well, right? And I imagine after what went down at Webster Hall, a lot of people in the scene, quote unquote, and a lot of friends, quote unquote, probably turned their back on you, right? Actually, yeah, that's really the reason why I have nothing to do with the New York hardcore scene at this point, because I really saw what everybody's fucking true colors were, you know, they're all a bunch of fucking fair weather friends, you know, and um, who wasn't that who did stick yeah, around that, and stick by your side around is that people that are still in my life, like Henzo Gracie, you know, and my wife, who at the time wasn't even my girlfriend yet. And um you know, she was actually my editor, and uh, still is, I hear. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but um, you know, the, the 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 my circle got real small because you know I still got a lot of people out there who like privately want to be my friend, but publicly, you know, a little shy about it. And it's like, fuck you, you know, I'm better off without you, man. My life is fucking great. I mean, no fucking fair where the friends. In fact, I'm making more money now than I fucking ever was. And I got fucking three record deals in the last two years. I'm putting out records. Fuck everybody, man. You know, it's all some soap opera bullshit. What really matters at the end of the day is what you do with your life. I never gave a fuck about scenes, you know. 
uh, scenes of fucking teenage bullshit. And, and quite honestly, having come from the punk rock era and then been part of the beginning of the hardcore scene, I really kind of looked, you know, maybe that's why, you know, I just never really gave a fuck about any of those hardcore kids that came out after the, after 80 or 81 or 82 or 83. I'm like, it just became more and more, I'm talking about New York now specifically. Okay. So it's not worldwide. I'm I'm just like, I, I didn't really identify with this quote unquote, scene a lot of sheep and a lot of followers and a lot of unoriginal people right exactly and they fucking go through a revolving door of them and a few of them stick around a little longer than others and even those motherfuckers you know are amateur fucking musicians at best and fucking copycat motherfuckers that uh, <laughs> you know it's just it's i'm i'm not in i don't give a fuck i'm a musician i play music because I'm, that's what i do i don't give a fucking cat's ass about the hardcore scene, the metal scene, thrash, this, that, it's all fucking meaningless to me. It's all fucking, it's, it's, it's aggressive music at the end of the day, no matter what you want to call it. It's rock and roll, whatever. I don't give a fuck about Well, the idea of it is it's supposed to be about freedom, right? It's supposed yeah. to be about living free, being free, yeah. being being an original, thinking creatively, thinking as an individual. And I think a lot of people, ironically, who attach themselves to these scenes don't like people that do that. They're either intimidated by them or jealous of them or Agreed. they just can't get it. Agreed, 100%. Yeah. But uh, the fucking life is great, man, you know. I'm looking forward to getting out and again, hopefully this year like we're supposed to, but... Do you believe in true love, Harley? Fuck yeah, man. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know What I role mean, has the L word played in your redemption and salvation, would you say? It played every fucking part of it. I mean, it's just like, you know, it, and it's not just, you know, love of your your spouse or yourself. It's like love of life, you know, and, and uh, love of the friendships that you've made, uh, you know. Uh, without love you really are living a very empty fucking life you know and um amen you know that i think is the the key to any sort of salvation is, is being able to leave this world with that you know it's like i still fucking get bummed out over like friends that are dead this that the other and then i just have to tell myself you know what I'm lucky i had because life is so fucking short and chances of even coming in contact with someone that has a meaningful impact on your life or coming in contact with someone that you actually wind up loving and meaning something to and vice versa that chance is, is not so great so you just have to be grateful that it happened as opposed to being devastated by the loss of it because we're gonna fucking lose everything you have to just be grateful. Yeah. Dr. Seuss said it best. Dr. Seuss said, uh, don't smile, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. <laughs> Fucking, it's always Dr. Seuss. At the end. <laughs> 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 the fucking, the man, Dr. Seuss. He had it dialed in, didn't he? <laughs> man, we, we don't need gurus and swamis. We just need good old fucking Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Are you a spiritual man? 
your spiritual day? You know, I think yeah, I think so. But you know, I I, I got to say that I'm more of a uh, uh, of an agnostic, if you're going to throw actual terminology around, simply based on the fact that I don't know what the fuck is next. So I'm not going to pin my fucking uh, my, my pin my flag on anything because I don't want to be misleading other people with my lack of fucking knowledge. I already went down that road. Whenever yeah. you run around think you know the answers to everything, you know you fucking. Chances are you really don't. And um, even if I do figure them out. I think it's really, you know, I, I can only live by example. It's not my job to fucking to fucking uh, show other people the light or whatever the fuck. I mean, all I can do is live by example. You know, it's like you know, even sometimes with your kids or with your friends or whatever, you can't necessarily get through to them. You just can't. All you can do is live by example and hope that that fucking eventually resonates. It's interesting what you said a moment ago as well, because for me, as you just said, sort of alluded to, the only certainty in life is that we all die. And some yeah. people, when you have that conversation with them, they go, oh, man, you're being morbid. That's depressing. It's like, no, no, no. If you acknowledge that, I think then that gives you a sense of purpose and it makes you want to live your life to the fullest. And actually, for me, to acknowledge death and be aware of it, not to linger on it, but to at least acknowledge it is a positive way to live your life because you know that this time is fleeting. So let's get at it. Fucking Lutely, man. Absolutely. You know, it's like I, I, me and my wife got a lot of business things going on right now and I'm working on really upgrading my life, you know, because yeah, I mean, I'm healthy, I'm strong, this, that, the other. But I'm fucking 53. Well, even if I, I might, even if I live to 100, that's only, you know, 40 something fucking years. That's not a lot of time. You passed the halfway point. Well, I mean, but the thing is, you never know when the fucking halfway point is. That shit, I got friends of mine who've died younger than me, many, recently, and, and, and my whole life. It's like you'd never really know how much time you got. So, you got to pursue what the fuck you want. You know, you got to pursue the things that, you know, your passion that, and, you know, it's like I grew up in the hood, man. I grew up in this fucking street, man. Now I just want fucking to chill, man. You know, I just want peace, you know, and uh, your life. Yeah. You know, I mean, me and my wife are looking at houses, you know, we're going to fucking get a place at some point soon. It just hasn't hit us yet. You know, we're like, look, and this and that. We got money saved up. You know, you can't fuck around forever. You got to make do the things that that, that are going to make you happy. Just don't fucking know. And dude, if anybody's earned it, it's it's you. If anybody's earned a slice of the good life. I tell you, man, fucking life is fucking great, man. Life is so fucking great. Even when when, when life is rough, I'm just like, you know what? I'm so fucking grateful for, for, for all this shit. It puts everything in motherfucking perspective. You know, I, I, I think, I think I wrote about it in the book, actually. I, I remember this evening so often. There was a night, uh, uh, it's like a fucking it was in the storm. A dollar came blowing at me in the street and I caught it. It was like, whatever, you know, and I, I, long story short, I wound up sleeping on the floor that night, no bed, 
under uh, like my jacket, but it was in my friend's apartment in the corner on the floor. He let me crash there. And I just remember being so grateful for not being outside in that fucking rain, in that storm. You know, it was like, it was, it was the story. It was like, I caught, I caught the dollar, right? And I went into this fucking 7-Eleven. There was nobody in there. And I'm like walking around in the store trying to figure out what the fuck is the most food I can buy for this dollar. I'm like, all right, do I get like two little Debbies or do I get one bag of peanuts? What it's like a bag of, like it's like what can you can't do a lot for a dollar, right? You know what I'm saying? So I'm walking around. Finally, guys, like, can I help you? He thinks I'm trying to steal some shit. I'm like, I'm so frustrated. I turn around, I'm like, no, you can't fucking help me. I got a dollar. You know, that's all I have. You know, what what's the most food I can get for a dollar? That's that's how you can help. And the dude felt bad. And he's like, yo, you eat cake? I'm like, yeah, I eat cake. You know, my friend's birthday, and then we got this whole cake, and then we only ate a couple things. And he came out, and he gave me this whole big-ass cake, right? Now, this is a long story, stupid story, but I just remember laying in that house, eating that fucking, it was just chocolate cake. Like, that was, like, all I had eaten that day. But, like, eating that fucking cake and not being in the rain, and with that wind that was blowing outside, I just was like, I was the most grateful I had fucking ever been. And uh, I feel that way all the fucking time, man. Like, I remember that shit regularly. Like, I'm laying here in my nice apartment in the city, you know, where we go away and we stay. So, and I remember that shit, like, all the time. Like, it never falls short on me that, like, how lucky I am. Or even that fucking dollar that blew at me for fucking just that that cake that he gave me out of compassion for that fucking floor with no fucking blanket. Like, thank you, you know? That's the meaning of life that you touched on right there, my friend. Humility and gratitude and compassion for your fellow men and women. That's it. That's it, man. Dude, this has been great. I've been really looking forward to this, and I'd love to do it again in person someday when the world reopens. Anyway, I'm sorry I fucking ramble on. I do that no, shit. No, no, Harley, man. <laughs> do, do, do not apologize at all. That was every bit as brilliant and you know poignant as I hoped and thought it would be. And I, I was moved so much by your book. I was inspired so much by your book. And I think in this day and age, you know, I think it, part of it is the age we're in now, and I don't think it's just specific to the hardcore scene i think we're in a world now where people are so quick to write people off and cast judgment and and just decide that they've got enough information to make up their mind about this person based on a couple of you know tiny little facts and that's the extent of the the knowledge that they've got and reading your book reminded me of like just the importance of friendship and loyalty and integrity and and fighting and and hanging in and I just found it to be such an amazing book, so inspiring and fucking entertaining as well, man. And uh, you're you're a special guy. Thank you. And uh, you know, when 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 you when the things you do have impact on other people, it it, it takes some of the sting out of the experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it it gives it some some value besides the calluses on my soul. <laughs> Um, well, what I loved about the book as well is you seem to be a very forgiving 
understanding person like you know you could have you could have a lot of grudges and anger and i'm sure there's always a little bit there but from what i gathered from the book you don't hold on to that shit for too long because you understand that it's just part of life and you got to move on with it you know what bro i to, to be honest with you i i struggle with that still you know but i've come to a place where i don't necessarily feel like you have to forgive people in order to move on like you can you know some things are unforgivable you know does that mean that you have to lead with that when you if you deal with that human being or that situation again no you know is there a way to move forward and just take note of what happened and be aware of that when moving forward and just say okay you know this is what went down this is where we are now and this is how we're going to move forward that that that's another way of, of dealing with things also because some things are just not forgivable does that mean that you have to hey you know what like for instance i tried to reach out to all the fucking guys from the age of Coral lineup for fucking years to try to bring everybody to the table now there's a lot of shit that i can't forgive those guys for individually you know whole webster hall thing shit with Paris, this, that, the other. There's a lot of things that I just can't really forgive. Now, the greater good of, of reaching out to them is that the number of people that you can make happy by four people being able to put five people being able to put aside their their anger, their uh, pride. Fuck the anger. Their pride. And you put aside your ego for me. Think about the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that you can have an impact on. Isn't that more important than whatever? I feel like it is. Um, Obviously, those guys are not there yet. So to me, that says, well, you know, if you don't, if you can't get past yourself to make your fans happy, then you don't deserve those fans. <laughs> That's what that says to me. But, but all bullshit aside, you know what? You have to look at the greater good. You know, does it mean you can forgive people for everything? No. But what can you achieve moving forward? Well, Guns and Roses managed to do it after all those years. No, fuck them. They didn't do it. They didn't really uplift anybody in a real way. You know what I'm saying? I think you know. There, I'm saying they managed to move past that. Yeah, beef well, stance though, right? I'll put it in a more real perspective for me. The Misfits. Yep. That means there you something. go. There you them. go. Me, the Misfits matter because I grew up watching those guys play in front of you know hundred people, give or take. And to open up for them five fucking times and to see them playing in front of fucking 30 fucking thousand people, I was like, that's right, guys. That's fucking right, man. You did it. You fucking did it. You took some underground punk rock, crazy gothic vampire madness shit and filled up fucking stadium. Like, you just fucking, you 
flipped the fucking script on all these motherfuckers, man. You know, you took our underground shit and you fucking took it to the big fucking boys, man. Like it was, I was so arena ship. I was proud of them. I was like, you motherfuckers did it. Like, boom. Did you see the healing process occurring in front of your eyes as well between those individuals? Eh, they cut most of that behind the scenes, (laughs) you know, I I mean, I'm in, I'm friends with all of them and have been for years. So, you know, but when I got an email from Glenn saying, Hey, Harley, want to open up the OG misfits? I was like, (laughs) that it? That was the email. Yeah, exactly. That was the email. <laughs> to which my response was like, the letters as big as you possibly could write them. Fuck yeah! <laughs> you know, like a thousand exclamation points. Did but, they you know, kill as well? Were they on fire? Was it amazing? And it was great, you know what? And like, you know, that's what it's really fucking all about at the end of the day. Is having, they were obviously having a great time. And it was great. Every show was great. Every show was fun. Even, you know, the few times that their sound was a little off, it came back. You know, it was just a couple times here and there. But it was like every show was great. Every show was fun. And all the bands were really on the top of their game at every fucking show. We did five shows with them. So we saw several different opening bands. And everybody was really bringing it. Like, it was everybody was super excited to be there. I'll bet it would have been a dream for so many bands, not just the fans, but a dream of so many bands to open up for them Dude, at that having, level all these years later. Hanging out with fucking Dave and fucking Captain Sensible and just like, you know, you know, it was just cool as fuck, man. Hanging out with fucking Billy Idol backstage at the fucking Misfits show. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it was great. You know? Fucking A. So you would get on stage with John and Paris and the rest of those guys in a heartbeat. Hey, you know what? If the circumstances were right, you know, but this is where I'm at. It's like, let me put it this way. Me and John came to our settlement. It was a long, miserable process, but you haven't heard me or him say a fucking peep about each other since. You know, we came to an agreement where, you know, in order to move forward, we both have to just leave it is the point and you know sadly some of the other guys are just still bitter to the point where it's like bitter ex-girlfriends just endlessly talking shit and like who even wants to fucking invite that to the party (laughs) you know it's like it's your birthday let's invite your miserable ex (laughs) no (laughs) you know that's what it's like sometimes isn't it being in a band there's like five Exactly. High maintenance partners. And honestly, you know, if everybody could just let go, you know, because for me, again, you know, I only talk about my book and all this shit because people ask me about it. But it's like, I'm really, I'm, life is now. You know, I don't really want to fucking argue or bicker or bullshit about the past 30 fucking years ago, 35 years ago, 40 years ago. I don't give a fuck, man. It's like, you remember what you remember. I remember what I'm, but if we're going to fucking move forward, in any way, if you ever want to share a stage with each other, you got to stop talking shit. How can anybody do business with somebody who's talking shit about them currently? Yeah. Loose all, lips sink ships. It's like we've all talked shit about each other in the past. It's like whatever. You know, but if you ever want to fucking, if you ever want the healing again, people got to fucking zip it. And then, you know, then maybe you can make something happy until, uh, happen. Until that day, you know, 
and my door is open and I'm still making music. I'm not fucking worried about a fucking thing, man. Maybe it's because my life is good. I don't, I ain't worried about shit. <laughs> More power to you, my friend. More power to you. Maximum respect. The new music sounds great. The book's fucking incredible, as I said. And uh, hopefully, I want to say thanks to Johnny from Belfast as well for setting this chat up. Oh, I know yeah. he's he's got a show going on with you, hopefully. I mean, even if it doesn't go ahead this summer, it'll be going ahead soon. And as soon as it does, and, I'll know, be there, man. It's going to happen sooner than later. And, you know, we just all got to keep our sanity and find ways to be productive in the interim. So, you know, if that means figure out some kind of a good workout routine to get into at home or some sort of a good, you know, trying to learn how to meditate i still am not really the greatest meditator but you know just like try to learn how to deal with the insanity of the current world situation you know i've I'm, i've been lucky i've been just exercising playing my instruments and spending time with my wife it's, that ain't the fucking you know, everybody should be so lucky as to be able to do what they enjoy and be with people that they love you know? living the dream fuck yeah well, listen, man, I hope me, you, and Laura can go for some dinner sometime. Fuck yeah, man. Absolutely. That'd be great. If you make it over here, you got to come by our house. She's an amazing cook. And, I'd uh, love to. Beautiful. All right, man. Harley, thank, thank you so much, mate. I thoroughly enjoyed this. And um, let's stay in touch and, and let's meet up in the real world, hopefully Absolutely. in the not-too-distant future. Right on, man. This was a pleasure. I don't even feel like I did. I feel like we were hanging out talking. I hope this doesn't fucking... Dude, it's perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> Take care, bro. Thank you so much, mate. Pleasure. See you again. Yes. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.